1: Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast set in a desolate future in which humans have been replaced by dragons as the dominant species on Earth. Dragons control everything now. Coffee shops, local news, the UN, Madame Swords. it's all run by dragons. Sick of dragons, the few remaining humans rally behind heroes Quinn Abercrombie and Denton Van Zandt, based on their very memorable names. As they launch a final desperate assault on the Dragon Headquarters, which is located in that huge paper chase on Tottenham Court Road, two young guys with completely ordinary names stay behind to record a long, rambling conversation about movies. For example, 2002's Reign of Fire, starring Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey. I'm Sam Foster, and this is my post-apocalyptic pal, Danny Moran. Hello. It's Franchise Week
0: on Film Chat, as we review Mockingjay Part 2, the final part in the Hunger Games series, as well as the docudrama Taxi Tehran, which will undoubtedly become the first part in a new franchise exploring geopolitical forces in Iran. It's some pretty fucking commercial shit. We also cast our eyes over the latest news, and wonder whether Gosling would make a good Neil Armstrong, whether Jennifer Lawrence would make a good director, and whether Kenneth Branagh will just please stop acting. Please, please just stop, you're terrible. All of which gives me just enough time to perform my mime show entitled Mime All Mime, which, admittedly, isn't that suitable for radio, but Sam has agreed to describe it for me.
1: Uh, you're in a septic tank. Oh, we should have rehearsed this. <laughs> yeah. A podcaster drowning in a septic tank. I'm going to go with that. Films, 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 films Lots of films, 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 films movies. Good films, bad films, fun films, sad films Films we love, weird films, Lars trier films Old films, new films, some John new films Films that star Peter Fitch Films by David Lynch Films, short films, six hours long We've got films up to your Begun. James Andrews writes: Listen to episode fifty whilst pumping iron. Could this be a film chat first? Hard to confirm, James, um, because it's we... possible that other film chatters are in the gym. I think of most of our listeners as not gym heavy characters. No, I see them more sort of slouchy, um, kind of morbidly obese, like either losers, either yeah, skinny or flabby. Which is generally like not... Disgusting. Not at the peak of physical fitness, i yeah, say. Like, sort of like decaying. You, like you and I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> decaying is going a bit far. But I'm pretty sure film chat is suitable for most things. Yeah. Pumping well, iron, making love, um, making biscotti. <laughs> Whatever you want
1: to do. <laughs> that's like your creator. That's like your approach to life. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. That's like a Twitter bio. Well, I've got it on pretty good authority that Wahlberg likes film chat, and he pumps iron... Probably eighteen hours a day, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He pumps iron. He oh pumps yeah, Warburg, steel. Yeah, yeah. He pumps many heavy metals, lead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say he. It's probably you and you and him, James. Thanks for getting in touch, James. Thanks. So that's the extraordinarily brief. Correspondence section for today. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Not Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tit. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. News. It's been some fun news this week. Absolutely. Things are always happening in the world of cinema. Yeah. This is quite good for us. Of well, this segment would just be nothing. speaks just be <laughs> Silence. So, Ryan Gosling is returning, in the process of returning to our screens. He took a little self-imposed hiatus um, in order to make his film. And make a baby. And make a baby. (laughs) Make those two things. He's made that film, he's made that baby, now he's back. Now he's back. Gosling is back. He's about to turn up in The Big Short, Mm. which I'm quite looking forward to. And he's also in um, this film La La Land from Damien Chazelle, the director of Whiplash, which is going to be some kind of musical with Emma Stone. That sounds great. That sounds charming as hell. It's going to be like the trilogy in there.
0: Crazy Stupid Love, Gangster Squad, La La Land. They're the best things in those movies,
1: by far. Definitely. Why didn't they cast Gosling as Spider-Man? Then we could have had oh my god, Gosling and Stone, you know, even more. But would you believe the scenes where he's being bullied at school? It's like this guy. <laughs> they would have had to have done a kind of Captain America 1 style transformation where they turn him into a ten-year-old body. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And make him less cool. Yeah, yeah, put glasses on him or something. Yeah, yeah. Make him have his hair up in a ponytail like they do to women when they want them to be, like, unsexy in old films. Anyway, so, um, after La La Land, he looks like he's going to work with Damien Chazelle again. They're working on a biopic of Neil Armstrong. Wow. That guy. Yeah. When I first read this, I was like, another movie about him, and then I realised I was confusing him with Lance Armstrong. <laughs> the good Armstrong. Yeah, the other Armstrong. Um, and Gosling is also turning up in the Blade Runner sequel by the looks of things. So wow. all sorts of cool Gosling on the horizon. Which one are you most excited for? Probably Blade Runner 2 because
0: I literally have no idea what that film would be about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not really like it hasn't
1: got a very it's
0: not a movie that demands a sequel. No, it's not a sequel baiting film at all. I could see his sort of how do I put this? He's got a very particular sort of charisma and kind of cool uh, wanky sort of energy about him. So I like the idea of him in like a sci-fi movie, whereas I think he's, he's, if you put him in like a sort of uh, conventional film, he's always the best thing in it because he's like slightly, there's something slightly off about him. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like- he's a bit co- magnetic. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of buy him more as a replicant or, you know, future man.
1: Yeah, I think he will be an interesting charismatic choice to put into a noirish hellscape. Absolutely. He's very good at staring at stuff. He is absolutely And a lot of of Blade Runner is just people sort of staring at stuff. Yeah. It's a bit low on activity, some of that film, but it's high on staring. Yeah. So that makes him the perfect casting choice. If the sequel follows in its footsteps. Absolutely. So! More news! So, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, the most famous
0: woman in the world-ish, probably. Yeah, she rings a bell. Um, She rings my bells. Bloody hell. (laughs) and and on this great uncle's day no less um so she's currently doing the press tour for Mock and jay part two uh, but it's been announced that she's now got her eyes set on directing a film directing a film what? uh i come thought you on. just come on you come can't on. do two things
1: that'd be ridiculous well, you're only about 21 years old I and knows. you're a woman and everyone knows that women can't direct films they can't direct films they can't direct, them. They can't direct them that's why it's never been made <laughs> no, no <laughs> film directed by a woman has ever been made. You've seen Zero dog Thirty. Ugh. Ugh, was not directed. Not a film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not a film.
1: You've Pitch Perfect too. Not, not a. Film. Not a film. Does not count. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolute that nonsense. Says my views. Anyway, despite the <laughs> the fact that no woman can direct a film, it's unprecedented. Um, J laws going to direct a film. The film in question is based on a New York article about a secret military program called Project Delirium, where the military were developing these psychochemicals to use against enemy forces, which would just
1: make them go mad for a bit. (laughs) It's brilliant. It's a bit like the men who stare at goats or something. It's only yeah. one level less kooky and bizarre. I think it's
0: just part of that period in the Cold War where they were
1: so desperate to win, they were just like... It's anything. Anything, yeah, sure. It's and also like- it's probably that the military had such an enormous budget because it was you know, the main concern of the entire country. And Absolutely. Just, like, they didn't, there's only so many tanks you can buy, you know, so like... Maybe we should try uh, giving them all LSD and seeing if they go mad. <laughs> so it's a really... I don't know what I was expecting Jennifer
0: Lawrence to direct, but it's a pretty sort of out-there concept...
1: Yeah, I, think, be... I thought she was going to do more of a um, I'm Still Here style um, kind of performance art, go nuts in public. That'd be great. Grow a huge beard kind of thing, appear drunk <laughs> on a talk show <laughs> and then reveal that it was all part of a film that she was making. Yeah, I mean, that, I would also look forward to that if that was coming out. Grow mm. a, a
0: huge beard on Letterman <laughs> being really surly. Yeah, starting a rap career, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, Project Delirium. Do you think J-Law's up to the task? I mean, she's good at most things, it seems.
1: I mean, I've only seen her act, but she's really good at that. Yeah, I mean... being delightful on talk shows. She has those two skills, and I haven't really seen her fail at anything. So Have you seen her try to do anything that she couldn't do? Like, fix a tyre, or... I haven't seen that. What do they bake, because you do... Or, like... I'm sure she'd be really good at it. Climb a mountain or something. She can probably do those things. Yeah. I think in the absence of any evidence that she can't do anything, we'll have to assume that she can do anything. Yeah, so bring on on Delirium as well. Bring it on. I mean, a second ago I sounded very down on the whole idea (laughs) of generally women directing films, but now I think that it will definitely be brilliant. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm so excited. Good luck, J-Law.
0: Good luck, J-Law!
1: What's the final bit of news, Sam? Branham. Branham! Bran- <laughs> Kenny Branham. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh, the world's greatest director and the world's greatest actor. It's not fair that one man can be so talented. Yeah. His career is on the up and up. Cinderella came out. People all over the world loved it. It was about a glorious princess's dream. <laughs> Lovely dresses in it and sparkles and everything. <laughs> Yeah, it was a masterpiece. It was <laughs> a masterpiece. He, as you may be able to tell, I didn't didn't see it. So coming off the back of that, he can probably do whatever he wants. Disney will just give him all the money in the world yeah. to make any kind of film, and he's allowed to star in it again, uh, despite being one of the hammiest actors ever. <laughs> um, and so he was probably flicking through TCM one night. <laughs> if that still exists. Um, or whatever, checking out his old DVD collection, and he stumbled upon Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, and he saw the array of incredible actors who um, were in the Sydney Lumet version, and he thought these are pygmies compared to Kenneth Branagh. So he's decided to redo that. Yeah, it's an, an interesting remake. Um, and he's going to be Poirot, right? He's going star- <laughs> to star in it as Poirot. Oh, it God. sounds a bit like a res- Red Nose Day sketch, but it's a re- real film that will happen instead. There's many... I mean, even if Kenneth Branagh wasn't doing it, there's it's probably the
0: most well-known mystery, like one of the most well-known mysteries, the twists. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's very famous. It's, like, super famous. So, you know... What what's, the that, point, what's, what's the point what's the point of a mystery like? yeah. where it'd be like remaking The Sixth Sense or something
0: exactly and also the 1974 I guess if he gets a good cast around him because the 1974 Sydney Lumet one's got like Sean Connery and uh, Lauren Bacall Anthony Perkins mm-hmm. it's a real like who's who or who was available yeah. 1974 Sophia Coppola Sophia Coppola and Matthew McConaughey yeah he's like six in it but he's, <laughs> he steals the scene yeah, yeah. um yeah. So it'd be
1: interesting to see who he gets as all the different, you know. Well, do you think costumes? that he it, he will feel that it's incumbent upon himself to assemble a cast of acting greats to match the Sydney Hume one? They probably get all of like some fest blobbies. We'll get Denshin, he will get You're right actually. He's probably in with the lovies, right? Yeah. There's one thing, you know about the lovies, it's that they're very friendly towards one another. And they love each other. Yeah. Uh so they'll probably all be in it. Maggie Smith will probably be playing a grumpy old woman in it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it might be f- like I might—I haven't actually seen the original *Murder on the Royal Express*. I don't particularly want to make Kenneth Branagh, you know, my first version of it. But it might be fun to watch if it does have a, a glittering cast of old cesp's. If he gets McKellen in or something, and yeah, that'd be great. But if, he, d- if he does that, they'll just all eclipse, you know, that show up. How I, he's not it's not that good as it It's
0: hard to do poirot about it being that's it's not a like a gang. genius impression but like it is a bit like obviously an english woman's idea of like an eccentric belgian detective mm. and i there is like uh nuance is not browner's strength no. <laughs> you know he's a very broad hammy actor so i just see it as a sort of cartoon sort of you know caricature in the middle that's quite um it's quite bloody like the death it's quite dark like it? the
1: actual um mystery the murder yeah all the motives behind it are pretty pretty grisly I, I see him as a bit of a cartoon character, really, Branner. Yeah. Like, having watched Wild Wild West, for example... He's on a train on that one as well. Yes. Do you reckon a giant mechanical spider will attack the train in his version? <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy
0: revisionist take. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh, it does, say, it does say that the plan is to assemble an A-list cast on the Den of Geek... Isn't that like the story. plan for like every film though? <laughs> We're going to put famous actors in it and just make the script good. Well, I don't know. We're planning to assemble a B list cast. I want a bunch of people you'll recognize but not be able to name. Yeah. Get me those guys from those things. Get me the guy from that thing. I don't want to know who he is, but I want to recognize his face. That's probably what they're saying. Yeah, say so bring it on. Bring it on! Bring it on, Branham. Yes. Bring it on, Kenneth Branagh! <laughs> Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey, Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush. Speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking the shy. Okay, start reviewing now. So, this week, I became the person to do the bullshit, um art house film viewing so that's, that's normally that's Danny's my, role that's my job normally it's Danny's job but I did it are you trying to fucking voice me out my role yeah, I went to the Cine Lumiere in South Kensington the one of the world's <laughs> snootiest cinemas <laughs> you have to wear <laughs> to a tie to a, go a so very film. limited screening yeah I'm still in Kenneth Branagh mode a bit here of um, this film Taxi Tehran uh, which has also just been released as Taxi and it's an Iranian film. You probably haven't seen that many of those. Um, <laughs> um, directed by Jafar Panahi. The film is set entirely in a car. It's one of those um, little genre of movies where you don't leave the car, like Lock. It stars the director himself, and it kind of sets itself up as though it's a documentary in which he is a become a taxi driver, and he drives around Tehran, and the inside of the taxi is filmed at all times. He's got kind of... Um, hidden camera not like hidden but just a like little camera setup thing and people get in the taxi and they chat to him and he drops them off and he drives them around and it's all relatively light um and at the beginning it could sort of pass for a documentary but it gradually becomes clearer that um it's too elegantly choreographed to be that yeah, yeah. and you're sort of seeing that a story is being put together and I really liked the movie a lot. It's one of those very clever films where you only gradually realise what it is you're watching after a while. I mean, maybe it helps going to something when you um, don't know that much about it. I, I knew very little about this movie before, before going to see it, and it was only right at the very end, the, the final thing that happens in the film, which um, was slightly surprising, but then you were like, oh, so that's the film I was watching. Yeah. And there's something very satisfying about that. It has a kind of punchline that makes sense of everything and uh, you completely understand its purpose. It's interesting to compare to it, which is a film that we have um, complained about before. That's the Tom Hardy mo- movie where oh, he's... I'm, al- I'm lo- loading some cement. But my <laughs> yeah. wife hates me. He's this Welsh construction worker in a car the whole film, and he's dealing with all of his life problems, and you learn all about his different difficulties and that kind of thing as the film goes on. It's a kind of character study. The tone of it is very different to Taxi Tehran, and I think the, the sort of key distinction between the two movies is that... Um, Locke felt like it was fighting against its premise, almost. That it had to convince you that it's okay to just be in a car for a whole film. Yeah. And so it was a bit like a guy who's just kind of shouting and yelling and waving his arms to try to keep your attention, even though you're not leaving the car. Yeah. And you can tell that the people who made that movie don't have any real problems. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this movie is made by someone who lives in a very oppressive society... And um, I learned afterwards has been arrested and has been banned from filmmaking and that kind of thing and is still making this kind of subversive work. And so he has something very personal and very political to say, but the tone of it is much more just someone speaking to you very softly and keeping your attention that way. He doesn't need to go all out to convince you that what he's doing is really important. It's just a kind of gentle film that gradually lets you in on... um, how serious it is. It reminded me a bit of Wajda, which is a Saudi Arabian movie that came out um, a few years ago about a little girl growing up in Riyadh. And they were both kind of portraits of these oppressive societies that had this political edge but were bright and colourful and cheerful and, um, you know, people are generally happy in them. sure, sure. And uh, it was almost as though... I mean, he's obviously... Well, I don't know. I was going to say he's not making it for a Western audience, but perhaps he is because he's banned from filmmaking there. So um, he made in 2012. He made this film called "This Is Not a Film," where he'd been banned from filmmaking, and he just started filming himself in his flat and like talking to the camera, making a video diary, and sort of turned that into a movie, and then smuggled it out of the country in a USB stick hidden inside a cake, and then it won some like wow. won the Golden Bear or something like that at the Venice Film Festival. So it, it is almost like a sort of message out of the country. Both movies feel like they want to cri- like critique the society that they're in, but maybe at the same time they want to show people that it's not some kind of giant prison world where everyone is like, you know, it's not North Korea or, or right, something right, like yeah. That. yeah. They want to show you a different side um, side to things, and it was just interesting. Um, on one level, being in this car, going around Tehran and seeing the city. You know, I don't know anything about it and seeing its inhabitants and, like, what their lives are like and um, and that sort of thing. And it's full of these little vignettes. The construction of it is almost like a series of short stories where different people get into the car and different things happen. And there's a um, really lovely bit in it where um, he starts driving his niece. Like, he picks up his niece from school and she's this really precocious kid, his real-life niece, um, who wants to be a filmmaker herself. And she's been given these instructions from her teachers about the things that can't be in the film. Yeah. And so in that way, they're kind of telling you about like, the restrictions on filmmakers in Tehran. Like, you can't show like, what they describe as sordid realism and that kind of thing. <laughs> and then there's a bit when um, he leaves the car for a while and she is just filming random stuff in order to make her film. And she films a, um, a couple who had just gotten married and they're leaving... Um, a uh, sort of civic building, you you know, one assumes, and they're like dressed in um, full bridal gear, and some money falls out of the um, bridegroom's um, pocket, and then a little kid who's um, cleaning up or doing something like that, like steals the money, hmm. and she calls him over and insists that he has to go and give the money back because otherwise the sequence won't be usable for her movie because they can't show. She can't show bad stuff happening. Yeah. So she can't show, like, someone stealing something because it won't be considered appropriate. <laughs> so she's, like, trying to convince this little boy to go back and give the money back to the, um, yeah, yeah. to the couple so that it suddenly becomes this tale of a moral person doing something good. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, little moments like that that are lovely little stories in and of themselves but also have that kind of edge to them. It was. A, it's just a very neatly made film. It's very like nicely choreographed, and there is something very satisfying about how it is constructed, as though it's a documentary. But you, re- like, I felt. I mean, I don't. Maybe a lot of it was improvised. I don't know. But it felt like everything was just so, and it's almost like the long unbroken takes of just having the camera in the car becomes a kind of impressive long unbroken sequence. Yeah, like it's it's elegant, and I don't think I've seen a film which has that. Shaky cam real life sort of style to it mm. um that is at the same time is kind of cinematic and elegant because of how well it's put together yeah so yeah, I thought it was really good. I really heartily recommend it. It's a very interesting glimpse into the city, and it's quite a subtly like quietly powerful political statement as well and the the director is a very charming man and he's very smiley and it's fun to hang out with him in his cab cool so yeah. Want to recommend excellent and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw was it staggeringly brilliant was it us We poor out Danny form a judgment we're about to hear his thoughts if he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off
0: so enough of that fucking Isles oh, bullshit it was bringing in the
1: podcast Sam
0: Rock and Jay big part big two block
1: buses. let's that's bust what, some blocks that's what people are watching that's what people are talking about yeah I haven't seen it yet I would like to do. I've enjoyed the Hunger Games series up to now. I liked part one. How was part two, Danny? It
0: is... Uh, uh, oh, dear.
1: Gosh. Let me tell you the plot.
0: Okay. So, basically, it kind of picks up pretty much either immediately or a couple of days after the previous one ended. The rebels are sort of winning the war and they're preparing to storm the capital. Meanwhile, Peter is being treated for his behavioral conditioning... Peter. Peter torture, PTSD thing, which makes him sort of involuntary try and kill people. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, unfortunate. Um, so the leader of District 13, President Coyne, who is Julianne Moore, wants Katniss to um, stay in District 13, away from the war, because she thinks she's sort of done her purpose as the Mockingjay. She's rallied the troops, so she's of no longer used to them. And um, But Katniss is on this vendetta to kill Snow, so she sneaks on board a transporter. But instantly her plans are foiled by Coyne, and her Along with Plutarch Heavensby, which is Philip Still Hoffman, incredible name, uh, just sort of co opt her quest and put her with this um, task force, which is just all the familiar faces from the previous movies, including Render Hunk Gale, um, the sort of document uh, documentary team, and later Peter shows Peter. up. And uh, they are told to sort of make promo videos, but they'll be behind the main troops, they'll be like days behind them. And oh, I so it's more propos. Exactly, and they're going through the Capitol, and uh, the Capitol has been tricked out with booby traps to make it into a sort of Hunger Games-style thing to slow the Rebels' progress and also provide some action sequences. I
1: like the dedication to the Hunger Games thing. Yeah. still got to be a Hunger Games. Exactly. Do you want to hear a clip of uh, them explaining all this? Yes, I'd be delighted to hear a clip. Here's the clip.
2: Finnick? Are you with us? Looks like it. That's a short honeymoon. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to have to have one in the capital after we take it. Gather round. Squad 451, you're my unit. Lieutenant Jackson is my second in command. Each one of you is elite in some form of combat, but we are a non-combat unit, so we'll be following days behind the frontline troops. You're to be the on-screen faces of the invasion, the Star Squad. It's been decided that you're most effective when seen by the masses. So we're not gonna fight? You do whatever you're ordered to do, soldier. It's not your job to ask questions. Yes, sir. Even though we'll be working on abandoned streets miles behind the front lines, I guarantee you, wherever they put us, it will not be safe. This is a war zone. It is likely that we'll encounter both active pods and peacekeepers. You're considered high-value targets to the capital. Our unit has been given a hollow. A database that contains a detailed map of the capital and a list of every known pod. These pods can trigger anything from bombs to traps to mutts. Whatever they contain, they are meant to kill you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 76
1: Hunger Games. the
2: Hunger Games has started again
1: yes the pods they've got uh, poisonous fog that makes your skin blister (laughs) the pod an evil warthog comes out of it and
0: tries to eat you exactly so I would say this is the weakest of the four films that's sad and the plotting's a bit all over the place and it's a bit messy but to its credit, it doesn't sell out on the sort of themes of the Hunger Games franchise. It's kind of like an anti-war film, weirdly, and also a huge blockbuster franchise. Mm. And it may not like actually like pull off that ambition, but the attempt is sort of... Um, laudable. Laudable, exactly. So the plotting is a real problem because, as that clip indicated, they've sort of already kind of won. And it's like the final push for the capital... So, Candace's plan to go and find Snow just seems, like, absolutely nuts. Like, how's she going to get through the capital by herself? And then, they're like, we're going to be behind enemy lines. Like, there's no real reason for them to be there. Yeah.
1: And it feels like the movie is contrived as quite lame reason. Like, we have to have some great propaganda to bolster the war. We're already winning anyway.
0: Yeah. And basically, it's kind of... It's a bold move that they've, like, already won. You know, it's like an interesting. So the central drama
1: is not like can they militarily overcome? Yes, like the sort of messy
0: final days of war, which is an interesting point for a film, but it means the film has to work harder to create all the tension and drama you want from it, Mm. and it doesn't quite pull that off. And um, there are some excellent action sequences with the sort of Hunger Game-affied capital, but and it feels like that was a deliberate attempt to sort of combine all the sort of musings about the horrors of war with the sort of fun of the first movies yeah but it's a bit instead of it being like a a chase movie it's a bit of a sort of slog because they'll encounter one booby trap some characters will die and then there's a big sort of emotional fallout and those scenes really uh are dull yeah yeah what i liked about the previous films is that like there's a sort of love triangle thing but katniss is always like you know i've got other stuff to do i haven't got time to like you know mope about boys but this sort of love triangle which i would never really paid much attention to is now suddenly more in focus there's all like peter and
1: gail yeah Espe- especially because they were all like real um they all seem like quite beta males yeah in the previous films compared to her like she's the sort of um, cool one like the strong one and they always took a bit of a back seat
0: yeah it's just like the movie the movie's often this point is like made a point that catniss doesn't really care about them romantically. She's trying to, like, protect everybody. And uh, and now we're supposed to care? It's like, this oh, This yeah. is the least interesting part of the franchise, and it's coming to the forefront in the final, which is a shame. And it's also a problem that just Jennifer Lawrence, who continues to be excellent, just outclasses them acting-wise. You know, especially Liam Hemsworth. He's just very blank. You know, like, what has she seen in this guy? There's, like, ri- there's not much chemistry there, is there? Yeah. And I, I'd say... Um, another problem it's all sort of like a necessity of the plot but the sort of fun supporting characters are somewhat relegated and it's always been like a quite relentlessly solemn franchise but like characters like stanley tushy's character or elizabeth banks sort of help to um mitigate that slightly they're like mm. they're quite fun but there's no there's no room for fun in this final movie <laughs> no room for
1: fun what was your favorite thing to come out of a pod this is a bit of a interrupting <laughs> your review There's, like, a very... The best bit of the movie is this very tense sub... Like, they go
0: underground into, like, the subways, which is always a bad idea for a horror movie. Yeah, don't do that. And there's, like, a sort of mutant zombie attack, which is very scary. Ooh, sounds good. Um, Yeah, it also has a slight Return of the King-style one-too-many endings. And uh, it's kind of... I think most of them are earned and another thing i like about the franchise is that it really deals with the sort of emotional and psychological fallout of stuff like deaths aren't brushed over mm. and so it's not like once we've won the war it's going to be you know all great happy families it's like now you know our entire society is you know in, in, ruins. R- in ruins but there's a final like wrap-up uh, ending which is sort of completely the opposite of everything in the film before, and it feels like it must be there to serve some kind of purpose or some kind of audience. Like a test audience didn't like the previous endings, did they? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say basically it's sort of fine, and it doesn't sell out on, like, the themes. And I liked... This might not be a good reason to like a film, but I liked how it avoided a lot of sort of cliches. So it's not like there's a decisive battle where they have to, you know, press one button and the war will be over, or you know things hinge on one decision only one person can do it it's all about it's like this big movement and even when you look like you're winning there's still another like thousands of people are going to die before it's over mm. and i liked that element of it and i liked um just the fact it was a big kind of populist anti-war film but it just uh it's a bit of a whimper not a bang you know it felt like the pre part one was like gearing up and then like, then the second one, it just doesn't gear up. It kind of winds down. Hmm. It's somewhat hampered by Philip uh, Hoffman's death. There's obviously a lot of rewriting going along, and you miss him. Especially because that character was really great as well. Great
1: character, and really incredibly well-acted. Great performance. Yeah. Chris Young wrote in his views on Mockingjay Part 2. He says, "I wanted to talk to you about the Hunger Games. I saw Mockingjay Part Two with Ruth at the lovely, if slightly chaotic Peckhamplex on Friday, and I have mixed feelings. On the one hand, it was a welcome return to the Hunger Games dynamic as they battled to survive, picked off one by one in a heavily booby-trapped capital. It looked great, the performances were great, and some of the action sequences were among the best in the series. On the other hand..." It suffered badly from Return of the King Ending Syndrome. The interludes of the basically completely irrelevant love triangle were totally ridiculous and killed off any tension that might have been building. And the sting of the climactic scene was so massively telegraphed it could have been scripted by Samuel Morse, Strokes Chin. Also, the final scene is so corny it actually had the whole cinema laughing through to the end credits. Not good. I really like this series, but this film, not so much. I want to know what you think. Well, it sounds like you and Chris are on that's similar like, that's, wavelengths. That's
0: probably like a much better review than what I just said. So you could have saved yourself five minutes if you just, 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 re- <laughs> if you just read Chris as Just read like, that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the love triangle, what I would say I think is good about it, and I I find Gale quite annoying, but I like the fact that Peter, Peter. isn't like this alpha male guy. He's like just a really nice person trying to do the right thing. Mm. And it's, like, really heroic in this previous movie when he's, like, he's obviously been tortured. It's, like, really horrific what happens to him. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, again, that sort of whole plot line where he's, like, a sort of ticking time bomb killing machine doesn't really go anywhere. Hmm. And they spend an entire film setting it up for it to not really... <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like they're focusing on the wrong elements, I would say. They're, you know, that aim's a bit off. That's a shame. Because it's one of the better young adult properties out there. I think it's the best YA franchise purely because it's, like, about something. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, maybe it should have just been one
1: movie. film chat
0: So what Morking Jay part Two was missing was obviously a really bombastic rap song, uh, at the end of it. Uh, well, I'd be rapping to the beat from Jay Z's 99 Problems, but i just change all the lyrics so I'm mocking people called Jay. Yeah,
1: long time fans of Film Chat might remember Danny doing that back when Mocking Jay Part 1 was released. But I've written Mocking Jay Part 2. And Danny has some more J's that he's going to mock. Drop the needle.
0: Oh, yeah. Here we go. Mocking Jay Part 2 with me, Demo, mocking the J's. Let's do it. J. Edgar Hoover, if I want to see the famously intense male movies I want to dress, I'll watch fucking Stardust. Uh, J. M. Barry, I want to go to Neverland, by which I mean I want to go to a land where I now have to read fucking Peter Pan again. J. P. Morgan, I'm not sure what you've done, but you're a huge multinational bank, so, uh, fuck you. J. R. Tolkien, What's Elvish for? You can't write for shit. Yo, Jay, from Jay and Silent Bob, you can learn a lot from your friends. By which I mean, shut the fuck up, you mouthy prick. I fucking hate all you Jays. Consider yourself mocked. Drop the mic. Actually, don't, because these are quite expensive. Well. I think I certainly told those Js. You did, yes.
1: I wouldn't want to be someone whose first initial was J. Maybe I should start a rap career. Yes, a rap career. Good idea. You've uh, already got a fan base, and you've got recording equipment. So I think you've pretty much got the main two elements set. Yeah. And And you've got a great sense of rhythm, and you've got a good insulting ability. I need to find people to, like actively dislike me so I can like diss them in songs because at the moment you... I'm just sort of flinging out insults into the nether sphere, you know mm. why don't you become more of a sort of left wing activist rapper and just find a list of conservative party members and, yeah. and just insult them one by one nice like all the MPs yeah. and then the council members and yeah. then the people on the various committees the people who work for them yeah you know fuck you Theresa May <laughs> it's a good start Fuck you, George Osborne. (laughs) Yeah, I would think of more things than... Fuck
0: you. Just
1: fuck you, Matt. But, you know, it's early days. Yeah. This is going to be great. Anyway, listeners, thanks a lot for tuning in. Tune in next week. We'll be reviewing... Bridge of Spies? Probably Bridge of Spies and Carol. Carol. The much-anticipated Carol. I want to see a film about two guys, I want to see a film about two girls. Yeah, perfect gender balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah! Whoa!
1: Oh, Whoa. Oh, fuck. fuck, fuck, yeah! Yeah. Ugh. Oh, that's right. going to be good. And then after that, we've got the very exciting Star Wars, The Force Awakens to look forward to. Ooh, Star Wars. Everyone's very much looking forward to that one. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: There's a few things, about three things to my account that I need each day. Um, one of them is something to look up to, another is something to look forward to, and another is someone to chase. Now, let's do it. first off, I want to thank God, because that's who I look up to. He's graced my life with opportunities that I know are not of my hand or any other human hand. To my family, that's who and what I look forward to. To my father, who I know is up there right now with a big pot of gumbo. He's got a lemon meringue pie over there. He's probably in his underwear, and he's got a cold can of Miller Lite. He's dancing tonight. And to um, my hero, that's who I chase. Now, when I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life come to me and say, who's your hero? And I said, I don't know. i got to think about that. Give me a couple of weeks. I come back two weeks later. This person comes up and says, who's your hero? I said, I thought about it. You know who it is? I said, it's me in 10 years. So you see, every day, every week, every month, and every year of my life, My hero's always 10 years away. I'm never going to be my hero, and that's just fine with me because that keeps me with somebody to keep on chasing. So, to any of us, whatever those things are, whatever it is we look up to, whatever it is we look forward to, and whoever it is we're chasing, to that I say, amen. To that I say, all right, all right, all right. to that I say, just keep living, huh?